0: On this episode of the Personal Finance Podcast, we're gonna talk to Adam Carroll about how to pay down your debt as fast as you possibly can with the Shred Method. Ooh. Everybody, and welcome to the Personal Finance Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew, founder of Mastermoney.co. And today, on the Personal Finance Podcast, we're going to be talking to Adam Carroll about the shred method. If you guys have any questions, make sure you hit us up on Instagram or TikTok at Mastermoney Co. And follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever podcast player you love listening to this podcast to. And if you want to help out the show, please leave a five star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. So today we're gonna to be talking to Adam Carroll about the Shred Method. And the Shred Method is this really cool methodology that we'll get into about how you can really accelerate your pay down on a bunch of different high interest debts. Anything from your mortgage, for example, is what we primarily talk about this, because if you wanna get your mortgage paid down really quickly in a way that actually makes sense, then the Shred Method is a fantastic way and a fantastic process to go through so that you can pay down that mortgage in an accelerated fashion. But it also works for other things, Maybe you have high-interest student loans. Maybe you have high-interest credit cards. There's a bunch of different ways where you can utilize the Strad method so that you can pay down these debts as fast as possible. In addition, we're going to go into some deep dives on things like HELOCs and how you utilize your HELOC to be able to pay down some of this debt. We're going to go into how to use your equity in your house so you can pay down debt as fast as you possibly can. We're going to talk about the tax implications of doing this. And we'll even talk about how much equity you need to take advantage of this. And if you own a home with a spouse or a partner, how you get them on board as well. This episode is action pack. I'm really excited about diving into this episode. And if you're not familiar with Adam, Adam is someone who has been in the personal finance space for a very long time. He's also a TED talk speaker. So he has a TED talk with millions and millions of views, but he is really passionate about personal finances and specifically the shred method and how powerful it can actually be. So I'm really incredibly excited to share this interview with you guys. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So without further ado, let's welcome Adam to the personal finance podcast.
1: So Adam, welcome to the personal finance podcast. Andrew, I'm excited to be here. Excited to talk about our topic today.
0: So I'm really excited to talk about this, too, because you have a very creative way to build wealth. And it's something I really haven't thought about before. But I think it's a really cool methodology that you've built out here. So I'm really, really excited to talk about this. But before we jump in, I just want to make sure that everybody is clear on one subject, because it is one of the focal points of this system, and it's utilizing a HELOC. So can you give us an explanation of what a HELOC is?
1: Yeah, I sure can, Andrew. A HELOC stands for a home equity line of credit. And when we talk about HELOCs today, one of the things that uh, may come up as a question for listeners is, can you use any line of credit? And the the simple answer is yes. So this could be a B-lock, a business line of credit, or a P-lock, a personal line of credit. The key is that the line of credit and how this functions is that it really is like a two-way street. You can borrow money against a HELOC and you can put money in a HELOC. So it functions like a checking account, but the difference is that we're actually borrowing money from that line of credit. A HELOC in particular is just tied to your home's equity, right? Which is how it gets the name HELOC, Home Equity Line of Credit.
0: Absolutely. And that is the perfect explanation. I think it's one of those things that um, a lot of people utilize to do things like buy liabilities. But for a lot of people, you can actually build wealth with a HELOC, which is why I absolutely love your system and kind of going through this process. So your system is called the shred method. And the shred method is something that I think is very unique that nobody really talks about. So you're the first person I've actually heard talk about this system. So can you give us like a bird's eye view of what the shred method actually is?
1: Yeah. So the bird's eye view of the shred method is this. We believe that typically people's income is not efficient. It's not being used efficiently. And I like to speak in metaphors. So I'm going to give you a metaphor for what the shred method actually is. Andrew, if you were to leave your home in the morning at like 8 a.m. and you go to the grocery store and then you come back home knowing that you're going to go to the post office at 4 p.m., would you leave your car idling in the driveway all day long?
0: Absolutely not. Why not? A, I don't want to waste money on gas. B, I don't want it to get stolen.
1: (laughs) Okay, very good. Yeah. And I hear from other people, it'd be hard on the environment, hard on the car's engine, right? Mm -hmm. Wasteful, all these things. Well, this fundamentally is what people do with their income. They use it, you know, on the first, maybe on the seventh, maybe on the 12th. But in the meantime, the income just sits there in their checking account or their savings account for days and weeks, in some cases, months or years on end. All the while they are inefficiently burning interest costs on other high interest expenses. And that could be credit cards. It could be student loans, it could be car loans, or it could be your mortgage which candidly is the highest interest bearing uh, debt that most people will have in their lifetime.
0: Absolutely. I think the cool thing about this is, is you've kind of flipped the script on what a house can be. Cause a lot of times people utilize their house and it actually is a liability. If you kind of look at some of the costs and expenses that go through owning a house, but this kind of turns your house into somewhat of an asset. So how can this actually kind of flip the script and turn your house from a liability into an asset?
1: Well, you know, I read the book, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and the Cashflow Quadrant, as many of your listeners probably have as well. And I'm sure you did, Andrew. Yep. And Robert Kiyosaki always said that an asset puts money in your pocket and a liability takes money out of your pocket. And using that logic, your home, your primary residence would be a liability. It takes money out of your pocket. And I started looking at it, wondering how could I use it as an asset? Meaning if I have equity in my home, what could I be doing with that equity that would actually get me closer to where I want to be. And there's two fundamental things at play here, Andrew. Number one is that if you play by the banker's rules, and I'm not vilifying bankers because they need to make money too, but if you play by the banker's rules, we, the consumer, are their compound interest vehicle. Does that make sense? It does. So when we borrow money from the bank, we become the vehicle that allows them to make money using compound interest. And I started challenging that notion that if I just dutifully make the payment, just like the banker always tells me to, or the agreement that I've signed up front, they are signing over this amount of money to me at this particular interest rate, knowing that they're going to make a significant profit on the money that's loaned. So how would I reorient my cash flow to make sure that I could blast away debt in record time? And then instead of paying them copious sums of interest, you know, for most people, it's Tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of their lifetime. What if those tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars could be deployed into cash flow-producing assets, which could be real estate, syndications, could be intellectual property plays. We've got a deal right now going where we're investing in ATM tranches, uh, you know, that generate a significant cash flow year-over-year. Year. So this is what we started realizing was the equity in our home actually has value. But only if we unlock that value in the form of liquidity or a line of credit to deploy somewhere else where we can get a better than average return on it.
0: And I absolutely love that way of thinking because I think it's one of the most valuable things that you can do with your home equity is be able to utilize it to buy more assets. So that's so cool that you have some of these funds putting together to buy all these different assets to go through that process as well. And one big thing for the shred method is you essentially are using your HELOC as a checking account. And this is one thing I really had to, if you're used to using your just a traditional checking account to funnel money through, it's one thing that you kind of have to have a mindset shift on. So can you talk about why this is so important to be able to utilize your HELOC as essentially your checking account when you go through this method?
1: Yes, and this is such a profound question, Andrew, because I believe that most people don't have an income problem. They have a liquidity problem. And what I mean by that is the income problem for most people is not there because whatever they've bought, whatever they've acquired the payments that they're making, they can afford the payments, but they don't have the liquidity to blast away the debt or to invest in lump sums. And so what we're really trying to do is we're trying to get to a point where people have liquidity sufficient that they can do the kind of investments that we're talking about. And By and large, the challenge for most consumers is that they have paymented themselves into a corner so they can afford their payment, but only up to whatever their income is. And then, you know, they got to wait till Friday to get paid again to go do anything with it. When we use the HELOC as a checking account, think about what happens when you free up, you know, call it $500, $1,000, $5,000, $15,000 in liquidity, and you drop that down on one of your debts that knocks out the debt right away and frees up that amount of cash flow or in the case of your mortgage. And this is really fundamental to how the shred method works. If you were to buy a home and you make payment one, you know, as well as I know, and many of your listeners probably do as well, that the lion's share of the interest that you're paying on your mortgage is upfront. It's the way that the mortgage is built, right? So you're paying whatever the balance of your mortgage is, the interest on that amount in arrears 30 days. And as a result, you know if you had a $1,500 mortgage payment, $1,300 and change might be going to interest, where only $180 goes to principal, right? But if you dropped $5,000 or $10,000 or $15,000 down on that mortgage right away, you would skip from payment one all the way down to payment, let's say, $47 or $62, thereby passing over five years of mortgage payments, just like that. Right. And in the passing over of five years of mortgage payments, you skip all of that interest that you would have paid otherwise, which if it's on average, I mean, let's just say for simplicity's sake, it's a thousand dollars every payment. You just skip 62 payments in this example, let's say that's $62,000 in interest. You're not going to pay on the mortgage. And so we're showing people how to effectively game the amortization table of your mortgage while creating access to the liquidity that's locked in your home to be able to then go do intelligent things with it. And this is key. It's not about spending, right? You mentioned this before. We're not buying doodads. You're not buying four-wheelers here. We're trying to build wealth using this method.
0: Exactly. And that is one of the cool things. And people who are listening, if they listen to this podcast for a long time, they know we talk about this all the time, how your mortgage is actually front loaded, just to reiterate what Adam is saying. So this is the most powerful part about this is you're skipping that front loaded interest so that you can kind of move along with your mortgage and you just pay it off that much faster. It compounds that much faster. So it's an amazing way to get it paid down. So that is one of the coolest things with this as well. So if you somebody wants to do this and say they bought a house and maybe they bought it a couple of years ago, maybe they bought it in the last year. How much equity do you have to have available to be able to go through this system?
1: I think that's the magic of this, Andrew. You don't need significant, significant equity to make it work. Our system is based on an algorithm and the algorithm calculates inputs like how much income do you have coming in? One of the inputs that you plug into the system is your expenses, your debts, your mortgage payment, investments you're making, savings you're putting away, those kinds of things. But what is really at stake here is how much discretionary money do you have at the end of a two-week pay period or at the end of the month that is either sitting there idly in your account, or maybe it's going somewhere into, you know, a lot of people have a sinking fund as an example. And I'll give you a prime uh, case study of someone that was doing this, and then we showed them the shred method, created efficiencies, and boom, they're out of debt in no time. But back to your original question, how much do you need? For most people today getting into a home, they're going to have somewhere between 5 and 20% equity already because they're going to put 5 to 20% down, right? You need somewhere around 5 to 10% equity to really make this work well. Now, when I say that, it's also based a little bit on your income. So if you're making $5,000 a month take home, ideally what you need is somewhere between 3 grand and 7500 in equity to take advantage of a HELOC of that amount so that your income has some place to go, right? You can't make five grand a month and have a $4,000 line of credit because when you make the deposit, a HELOC can only ever be zero or negative. It's never going to go positive. Does that make sense?
0: It does. Yeah. So that's perfect. So So you don't need a ton of equity there. Even if you bought a house and then, you know, the last couple of years, you'll have some equity most likely, um, depending on where you live in that house. So you can have that um, you can kind of get started with this, depending on how much equity you have, pretty much right away for most people.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, furthermore, if someone doesn't have the equity to go and tap right away in a home equity line of credit, obviously I mentioned you could get a PLOC, a personal line of credit. You could get a B-lock, business line of credit, that'll do the same thing. Or you can use an emergency savings fund or sinking funds or a discretionary fund that you have. could be called an opportunity fund. And this is the caveat. I'm not proposing that people go sink all their money in, right? There ought to be an amount of money that you have available and accessible to you all the time. But if you've got five grand in addition that you know you won't touch right away, we could turn that into the shred fund and make it work. And over the course of call it 60 days, 90 days, 120 days, you'll have more than enough equity that you could then go get a HELOC to fully engage the system.
0: I love that. So it's really accessible to most people within that situation. You could probably get some of those loans even without having, you know, a mortgage and some equity on that. So along those absolutely. same lines, can you utilize the shred method on other types of debt? Things like student loans, maybe credit card debt, or auto loans.
1: You absolutely can. In fact, you know, we encourage people looking at uh, if you have significantly high student loan debt, if you have a car loan. That I mean, car loans are a little bit different situation, Andrew, because sure. most of them right. If you've gotten a car in the last six to 12 months, interest rates were like 1.9%. They've obviously gone up since then and when this recording will come out. Um, But what we attempt to tackle are the higher interest debts first that have some significant payment. So that could be a student loan. It's likely going to be a credit card. But when we go after those, what we're doing is we're shredding the debt and we're freeing up whatever the monthly amount that was being paid on that debt. In effect, what we're doing is we're using a debt snowball, but we're using a debt snowball. If you were to put the snowball analogy in a gas tank, the shred method is like putting nitrous oxide in that gas tank, right? It just happens that much faster. And so, yes, in answer to your question, you can go after those debts. We encourage you going after those debts. Um, The only difference is that with a mortgage, you are actually building equity in something where when you're shredding your student loans, we're just literally getting rid of a debt that's been hanging over your head. So we may not have that asset necessarily tied to it. And there's a little bit of coaching that goes along with the shred method and our clients, where we'll walk through your entire scenario and then plan with you what makes the most sense to tackle first, second, third, and so on in an effort to create more freedom for our members, because that's why we exist.
0: I love that. So it's one of those things where, especially on high interest rate debt, that's one thing we talk about always that we want to get paid down so that we can kind of accelerate our path to wealth. And this helps us do that in a much faster way, which I absolutely love. So, I know- The key to winning in any business is making sure you have the right business partner. An example is Procter & Gamble or Ben & Jerry. But what about the perfect partners when it comes to growing your business? That's you and Shopify Banking services and debit card provided by the Bank Corp Bank, NA, or Stride Bank NA members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Early access to direct deposit funds depends on payer. Out-of network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. We're driven by the search for better. A R C H M O N E Y dot com slash P F P for your extended 30 day free trial. Oh, this question is one that I'm asking because I know a lot of people will ask me after the fact, after we have this episode. Yeah. Are there any tax implications for running your finances this way?
1: I love this question because typically where it's rooted is in what if I lose my mortgage interest deduction? Right. And in 2017, there were some tax law changes. And essentially what happened was individuals and couples are now able to do a standard deduction of twelve five per person, <clears throat> excuse me, or $25,000 per couple as a standard deduction. So if you are deep enough into your own taxes that you know you itemize and your itemization goes above $25,000, first of all, kudos to you because you're far deeper in the tax game than I want to be. But secondly, you'd have to have a five, dollars mortgage at five, six, seven percent in order to have enough interest to then itemize. So if you've got a moderate mortgage and you're looking at how much interest you're paying on an annual basis, if it is less than $25,000, there is no tax benefit for you to keep your mortgage for a long time. Uh, the government's already given you a gift of a standard deduction of 25,000. So that excuse, that reason for, you know, why I'm gonna keep my mortgage for a good long time that kind of goes out the window. Um, As for taxes going through a change in taxes, running your income through this system, it doesn't really change at all. The one of the major advantages, not the one, but one of the major advantages is we tend to operate with a credit card. And we'll tell our members that every charge you make, every ounce of spending that you're going to do throughout the month is going to go on a card, but you're going to pay it off every single month with the HELOC. So we're actually using the card for points and miles and bonuses and all that stuff. So one of the things that my wife and I have noted and many of our clients have experienced is that Christmas ends up being free or traveling uh, at the end of the year. We want to go somewhere. We just go somewhere for free because we have lots of points, lots of miles, uh, you know, lots of bonuses through Amex or City Card or wherever we choose to use it. But from a tax perspective, there really aren't any added liabilities or challenges to using the system
0: that's awesome i think that's the perfect explanation with the credit card side here we are so pro travel hacking that that's going to be absolutely perfect for some of our listeners as well because that's one big thing that we love to talk about here as well so that is perfect so one big thing is i know this is for a lot of people and it's going to work for a lot of people and then one quick question i have is who is this methodology not for are there people out there that this just would not work for them
1: Yes, is a short answer. Um, You know, I often tell people, Andrew, that this is for everyone, but not everyone's going to do it or or going to do it effectively. Um, I will say this right off the bat it is not for someone who does not have discipline with their money, meaning there is more month at the end of your money, not more money at the end of your month. You know, so if, if you have more month at the end of your money, this is not for you because the system only works if you have discretionary money. And our goal is to create efficiencies with that discretionary money so that you can pay less and less in interest, less and less in expenses, and expand how much discretionary money you have at the end of every month. Um, it is not for someone, now This is there's a little bit of a qualifier here, it is not for someone who has radically inconsistent paychecks. So it's best if you know consistently what your paychecks are going to be because the system is calculating that using the algorithm and the inputs And it's looking out over the course of 45 to 60 days saying, based on the income, based on the expenses, here are the lump sums you're going to pay in, right? Using the HELOC. So if you have inconsistent income, maybe you're a business owner, as an example, uh, or maybe you're a realtor. One of the things that I recommend people do who are in that state is, can you figure out a way to pay yourself evenly every two weeks, right? You may have peaks and valleys in your income, but can you pay yourself evenly so that you can use the shred method. And this is exactly what I did in my business. I made my living as a professional speaker for years and I would have big months and I would have lean months. And on the really big months or the lean months, I still paid myself the same amount. So it allowed us to use shred as a tool. And it was all very consistent and predictable. We would just do bonuses or settle up every quarter and that allowed us to make even bigger lump sum payments to knock out our mortgage and or invest in something else you know, each time that happened.
0: And I could not agree more with folks who are business owners who have inconsistent income as well. It's the best thing to do is make sure that you can pay yourself under kind of what you're making every single month. And then at the end of the year, yes. give yourself those lump sums. That's what we do with all of our businesses as well. It's a lot easier to manage cash flow, but in addition, it's going to help you with situations like this, which is perfect.
1: Yeah. Sidebar on that, Andrew, I've seen too many people that Uh, And I use realtors as an example only because I have a number of them that are friends, but they would have a huge month, you know, list and sell two or three homes. And they do, you know, they do 60, 80 grand in commissions. They go out and buy the new Tahoe because they're like, it's been a great month. I'm going to go treat myself. And then they're zeros for the next three months. And they're freaking out about what the money is. And I was like, you know, if you just annualized all of that, and said, I'm going to pay myself six grand a month or four grand a month or whatever the number you need to make it work. Because then quarterly or semi-annually, you'd go back in and go, oh, I've got a big chunk of money in there. I'll just do a dividend or a distribution. That's honestly when this system works like magic. If you're a business owner and you've got periodic chunks of money throughout the year, this is like a video game you can't lose when you do it well.
0: Exactly. I could not agree more. And even those large chunks, once you get all this debt paid down, even those large chunks, you could invest those dollars too. And we know large lump sums are really going to propel and accelerate your path to wealth when you're investing your money. So I love that. So another big thing here is learning how to do this with a partner. So a lot of people who own homes, maybe they have a partner or a spouse who they own that home with. So how do you kind of get your partner or spouse on board with something like the shred method?
1: Yeah, man, it's such a good question because I think, um, obviously money, money issues, differences in money mindset is probably one of the greatest reasons that partnerships fail and marriages fail. And I was lucky enough that my wife and I got on the same page financially years and years ago. Candidly, we read a book called Smart Couples Finish Rich by David Bach. And in that book, David Bach talked about women and men have different risk tolerances. And one of the questions that he encouraged couples to ask each other is, how much do you need in savings to feel safe and secure at any given point in time? And when I asked my wife that we were young, a young, young couple, maybe a year or two into our marriage. And I asked her, Hey honey, how much do you need in savings to feel safe and secure? And she said, $20,000. And I thought she'd hit the Listerine too hard that morning. You know what I mean? Cause I was like, that is an insane amount of money to have in a money market account. She's like, you asked. So in answer to your question, Andrew, I think that the way to get a couple or, you know, a spouse or a partner on board with you on this is number one, have really honest discussions about what keeps you up at night around money, because some people is our bills are really high. And if your bills are really high and you freak out about that, well, the shred method has an answer because your bills are going to go down, 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 down over a period of time. If somebody says, I'm just freaked out that if an emergency happens, we're not going to have enough money to cover it which ultimately is a how much in savings do you need kind of question. But as you use the shred method and you're creating more and more and more equity in your property, you have more liquidity on that line of credit. So if your house needs a new roof, the water heater goes out, the car breaks down, kids need braces. And you're like, well, where's this five grand going to come from? Boom. It comes from the HELOC because we've been using it really efficiently and effectively. Remember earlier on, I said, if you drop I think i use 15 grand as the example you drop 15 grand in and it drops you down to payment 62 from payment one and you just save sixty thousand dollars guess what that's where the braces come from so we don't have to sweat the expenses because we're using our income really really efficiently pulling money back from the banker like i don't want to make my banker's lexus payment i'm going to circumvent how much interest is paid and then leverage what I need on that HELOC because I've created liquidity and equity for myself.
0: I love that, and I think that communication side of it, what keeps you up at night, is one of the best questions that you can ask. I actually have that book by David Bach on my shelf, and I haven't read it yet, I buy too many books, and so it's sitting on my shelf, but I'm definitely gonna read that now because I kinda wanna go through that. Um, Highly
1: encourage with a spouse, chapter by chapter. You read chapter one, she reads chapter one, they read chapter one. Two, two, go back and forth and then discuss it because one of the things that came out of it for us was too many people, too many couples have one person that makes all the financial decisions and the other one's completely in the dark. And what happens is either a weird dynamic is created and or something happens to the one spouse that's been making all the decisions. And the other one's like, I have no idea where any of this stuff is located. And so David Bach walks you through, here's the file folder structure. Here's where you keep things. Here's how we do passwords. All of that is critical young people especially don't really think about it. Like I'm going to be around forever, but I've heard way too many stories of something happening. And then the surviving spouse is just like, I'm lost. I have no idea where any of this was.
0: I love that. and It gives you actionable advice on that as well. I'm definitely going to go through that. And we'll link that book up down below as well. So everybody can check that out if they're interested in it. um, Because I think it's one that we'll definitely go through for sure. So one big thing here is that some people may say that When they misconstrue the math on this, they may say, well, it makes more sense to invest my money than to pay off my mortgage and my interest rate somewhere, you know, three, 4%, somewhere in that range. So how does the shred method actually flip this equation because of the accelerated payoff?
1: As I mentioned at the beginning, that this is for everyone, but not everyone will do it. And I've met a lot of people, Andrew, that will say, I can make more money in the market. And to them, I typically respond, I don't doubt that you can. I really don't. Um, But my question is, have you? look at the last year, look at the last two years. Are you up at the kind of level that you could be? Or are you just banking on the fact that over the last hundred years, the S&P 500 has made eight to 10% on average and blah, blah, blah. And I don't fault anyone who has that logic because I believe in it. Um, but what I will tell you is that my wife and I, and again, another metaphor here, Andrew, for you and your listeners, you know how an atomic bomb goes off? Yep. Do you remember this? That like the, the mushroom Adam cloud. Like collapses yep. in on itself. Yep. And the energy and the collapse, the collapse, is that a word? The collapsing of the atom on itself or the nucleus on itself just explodes out. I am no uh, physicist, but that's my understanding of it. What I started to think about was if I have really sufficient discretionary income and I could blast away my mortgage in, let's say, two years or two and a half, three years. And my wife and I have done it twice now in the last seven years. The first time was 3.8 and the second time was 2.7 years knocked out completely done the second mortgage we knocked out in 2.7 years was two hundred thousand dollars so we would knock our mortgage out and then when interest rates were where they needed to be we would cash out refi 200 grand and go drop them in syndications or rental real estate or wherever and then we would proceed to shred it again so in the course of 2.7 years we shred that debt and what happens when we did that it was like the nucleus collapsed on itself and when we exploded our wealth, then when we exploded out, we could go out and drop a hundred grand here, a hundred grand here, two hundred grand here, and the end result of that was way more cash flow, way higher interest rate deals because we're buying wholesale, not retail. And the issue that I have with people who say I could just dollar cost average invest and I'll make far more money over time—you may—and in the you know the law of compound interest says it's the last few doublings. They're going to make you a ton of money. But what if you can get to a compound interest inflection point far faster than you would if you were just dollar cost average investing? And I don't proclaim to be a genius or a guru on this at all, because it's only been my experience and the experience of some of our clients. But when we go like this to expenses and collapse them to next to nothing, but our income keeps growing, our ability to invest bigger and longer and faster is there far more than the people who are just like, oh yeah, I'm putting my money in month after month after month and someday it will grow. We're looking at these numbers like, holy cow, we're going to drop X amount in next year. And our clients are doing the same. They're like, I can't believe that I wasn't doing this before when I can put 25 grand in an account just like that, right? Because that's the power. That is the liquidity challenge that people have. Not an income problem, it's a liquidity problem. And we're helping to resolve the liquidity problem. So that's my description. That's my explanation of, uh, you know, those that say I could make more money in the market. You may be able to. However, over the next five years, 10 years, whatever it's going to look like, will it go sideways and can you make money in a sideways market? I mean, if you're selling puts and trading options and doing futures, more power to you, but it feels kind of risky for some. This can be like a more, from my perspective, a more guaranteed way of building wealth and seeing it grow fast in a short amount of time.
0: And I could think of so many practical applications for that too as well, just thinking through someone maybe who's investing $500 a month, for example, into something like an index fund. And they go yeah. through that process, but instead you could kind of get this mortgage pay down, accelerate that process, and all of a sudden you have all this additional cash flow, and in like three, four, five, six years, whatever that is, then all of a sudden you're investing, say, $2,500 a month instead. So that acceleration is massive. And then over time, it's just going to compound. um, And you're going to have more and more money, especially as your income grows, which is the biggest part of the equation. Um, And what we talk about on this podcast all the time, because I think income just solves so many problems. Um, So as your income rises, if you can keep that income, keep your expenses low, you're really going to see that accelerated side and that accelerated payoff well. And in addition, I can see so many uses for this in real estate investing as well. So we talk about real estate investing all the time on here. And I can see so many different uses for that as well to accelerate paying down houses. If you have a big group of um, houses that are paid off that you shredded those mortgages on those, I mean, the amount of wealth that you can build every single month is just an amazing snowball.
1: Oh, man. I mean, whether you're talking about doing a cash out refi when it makes sense to do that again, or you you can cross collateralize four or five properties and get a line of credit on those that could be four or $500,000, a million dollars imagine what happens when you're you know you're at the auction block which unfortunately may happen here soon and you're picking up foreclosure deals and it's just like i'm making cash offers cuz i can write a check out of my heloc and pick up whatever i want you know that's the power of this really and it takes a little bit of time andrew it's not this isn't an overnight thing right. but you know i've been on a couple of podcasts and they talk about crockpot wealth you know we're talking about crockpot wealth with a little bit of a microwave feature to it because we're going to microwave it quick and then go crockpot this thing to massive, you know, massive abundance over time.
0: Absolutely. I love that. I love that analogy too. Crockpot, well, slow and steady all the way across um, yep. as we start to build wealth. So here's another big one because I think this is one where we get a lot of questions um, sent in to us about HELOCs. And when people talk about HELOCs, maybe they do like a home improvement project. So say, for example, yep. maybe they put in a pool for a hundred grand. Uh, they pulled a HELOC out to go ahead and do that. So say somebody did that and maybe they have some equity that they've built out of that HELOC. So maybe they have like 80,000 on their HELOC, but they can you know, pull 100 grand. Does sure. that work for someone in that situation if they already have that existing HELOC or would it not work for someone in that situation?
1: It does work for someone in that situation. And actually we have a piece of software that powers the shred method. So when I talk about the algorithm, it literally is an algorithm that's calculating how much is available, how much is coming in, how much is going out, and what would you then need to leverage at any point in time in order to get yourself out of debt to create more efficiency with your income. So in a case that you just described, hundred grand HELOC, 80 grand on it, you would have ostensibly $20,000 sitting there. And what we often consult with our clients about is, Hey, let's not deploy the whole thing. Let's put 12 or 13 grand, 15 grand max in the system that you can use to shred with so that you always have $5,000 in liquidity in case you need it, in case of an emergency. But that 10, 12, 15 grand that's there available to you, you're going to be able to use that to shred some of the debt, whether it's your mortgage, car, credit card, student loans, what have you. Um, the, the one difference that I would add to this, Andrew, is that I would educate those people on their income actually needs to be cycling through the HELOC. So the challenge for most folks is, They go get a HELOC to build a pool in this case, but they treat that HELOC as a home equity loan because that HELOC or loan is going to have a payment attached to it. Generally, it's going to be either interest only or it will be a 1% of whatever the balance is, right? And so on a monthly basis, they're going to make that minimum payment or maybe a little bit more. But now the HELOC just feels like this oppressive thing that I got to pay off because I got 80 grand sitting out there. When your income is cycling through it, It's going to go up and it's going to go down because you're paying bills out of it. But by and large, it's trending down if you have discretionary income. And furthermore, we're paying less and less in interest as it trends down every single month, which is our ultimate goal. So again, this is like showing the caveman fire for some people when we show them how it works. But um, when your income is cycling in, the interest that is charged against the HELOC is charged on the average daily balance. It's not like a mortgage, which is charged on the balance at the end of the previous month. So they're looking at over 30 days time. What was the average amount you had on that HELOC? Remember, it was going up and down because of your income, but the average was this. So it's going to be less than you might imagine. You know, it's not magic. It's math. When we start to show people the math of it, they go, oh, I didn't realize how little interest I was actually being charged on my HELOC because I borrowed 10 grand against it but I dumped seven grand in over two payments. So it was up and then it was down. It was up and then it was down, but over the month it was here. So I was only charged like tens of dollars in interest for the month, but I saved hundreds or thousands of dollars in interest on my mortgage by applying it correctly.
0: That's perfect. And I think that's the absolute perfect explanation for that. Cause I think that's one thing I know people would be wrestling with, because there are people that have asked a number of questions on that. Um, and I think that would be kind of stressful for them to see it kind of go up and then down. But over time, if you're doing this the right way, it's obviously going to go down over time and that interest on that will be reduced over time as well. So that is a perfect explanation on that. So I want to shift gears here because we have a couple of questions that we ask a lot of our guests. Um, and so I would love to ask you a couple of these as well. So the first one is what part of your work or life makes you come alive?
1: Well, I mentioned before that I've been a public speaker, built my career on you know, presenting and being in front of groups, and nothing makes me come alive more than uh, seeing people's eyes light up when they get a concept, when they get an idea, when they get that one thing that's like, "Oh my gosh, if I do this, my life will turn around, or "I'm going to do this one thing differently for the rest of my life." And I've told people that my hope on my deathbed and/ or at my funeral is that there is a parade of people walking by my family saying i learned this one thing from adam and it changed my life and a buddy of mine calls them life gate moments that when you go through the life gate your life has never been the same i want to show people life gate moments that's what makes me come alive and for me candidly andrew shred is it when i learned this i was like how can i not teach this to people it's such a profoundly simple concept folks are using it in various parts of the country or in the the world, but we're not. And we're not because we've just been ingrained by the banking system. So what makes me come alive is aha moments and life gate moments for people.
0: I love that term life gate moments. I'm going to use that in the future, I think, because that's a really cool way to think through it as well. So um, the second one is what is the best advice about money that you've ever received?
1: One of the best pieces of advice I ever received was there is a difference between taking a calculated risk and being risky. And I've taken that to heart in virtually everything that I've done because it would be risky to go into something that I know nothing about and dump a ton of money in. Or I could take a very calculated risk by listening to shows like yours and doing my due diligence before I get into an investment by listening to every single thing that person has put out or reading every book I could find about it before I go do it. um, I have found that when I take a calculated risk, they generally pay off. When I am risky, they generally don't. And um, it's something that I've taught my kids. I've tried to teach college students and young professionals everywhere that there is a big difference between being risky and taking a calculated risk. And if you can weather the calculated risk, go do it but if it's risky and you're risking losing the money, you'll likely lose it.
0: I love that. It's kind of like the old Warren Buffett adage where he just doesn't invest in anything he doesn't understand. And that's kind of one of the principles here as well is you've got to understand what you're doing, understand the risk, what your risk tolerance is, all those other things. So I love that. Um, the it's third one is my pretty well favorite-
1: pretty for Warren, you know?
0: Exactly. I think it worked out pretty <laughs> well for him. <laughs> just exactly. So the next one is my favorite one of all. So it is one that we get a different answer pretty much every time. And it's one that um, we've gotten some pretty cool answers. So what does wealth mean to you?
1: Mm. Well, I am a big proponent of the wealth score and wealth score in my perspective and in my community is if your current income stopped tomorrow, how long could you live your current lifestyle? So if your earned and I say earned income really, if your earned income stopped tomorrow, how long could you live your current lifestyle? Passive income is going to keep coming, and that's all gravy, right? But if your earned income stopped tomorrow, how long could you live your current lifestyle? Meaning, you're going to deplete all of the reserves and assets you have. How long could you live? This, to me, Andrew, is the measure that most people are trying to get to with quote unquote retirement. And you know the financially independent retire early community would say okay, I just need to get to this number and then a 4% burn rate gets me wherever, right? But I'm saying if that income stopped, because what if you can't draw 4%, maybe your growth isn't sufficient. How long could you last with the amount of money you have or the passive income you have if current income stopped tomorrow? And unfortunately for most people, they'd be like a Sunday at 3 p.m. That's how long they could last. And my wife and I have really, uh, we have played this game well where we're looking out going, hey, at this point, we could last well into our seventies. We could last, you know, in every single year or month, we'll look at it and go, hey, we added three months or we added a year to our number. We added five years to our number. Our goal is to get to a point where we're going to supersede our lifespan by 10 or 15 or 20 years. And at that point, now we're just empire building. Let's get to a point where we're creating, you know, a massive passive permanent streams of income and B, Let's create a Rockefeller type fortune for the next generations, not just our kids, but our grandkids and great grandkids, because I think we can using the logic that we're using.
0: I absolutely love that. And it's like the ultimate safety net is what you're kind of creating here, which is um, one of those things that then you can utilize that to be able to take more aggressive moves and be able to build wealth that much faster. So I absolutely love that. So Adam, thank you. This was an amazing conversation. I'm so excited for people to hear about this. We're going to link up the shred method down below um, so you guys can check that out. But Adam, where else can people find you and everything you have going on with the shred method and everything else that you're doing?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, the best place to go, Andrew, is the That would be a great place to go check out. We have a savings calculator. There's a HELOC guide that you can download as well as an evergreen webinar. You can watch that talks about the shred method and goes through the detail and the numbers. Um, if you want to find out more about me, you can go to Adam Carroll, dot info. And on my site, there is information about me from a speaking perspective. I have a Ted talk with about 6 million views, I did a documentary on student loan debt some years ago uh, that's available out there. So there's a lot of great content there, but adamcarroll.info or theshredmethod.com are the two sites.
0: Well, fantastic. We'll link all of those up down below in the show notes as well. Adam, thank you so much for coming on. This was so fun.
1: Andrew, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.